BDPAI Radio showcases IT entrepreneurs, technology experts, and computer science academics. We highlight people with a passion for educating our youth in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. BDPAI Radio Show serves the BDPA members, sponsors, entrepreneurs, educational institutions, and the black community. BDPAI Radio, linking business, education, and technology. Well, good evening to everybody out there in Radioland. I know you are used to hearing the sultry sounds of our hostess, Fran McNeil, here on the BDPA iRadio show. Uh, Fran will not be with us this evening, and so sitting in for her is, the, is me. My name is Wayne Hicks. I am the executive director of the BDPA Education and Technology Foundation, and I'm very excited to have this opportunity to speak with our iRadio show listeners and to hear from some very outstanding guests. Uh, we have with us tonight three, it happens to be three brothers that are on tonight who are bringing to us different aspects of information technology from a academic and entrepreneur point of view, from a leadership point of view in terms of BDPA leadership. And the other common denominator is that all three of these gentlemen will be presenters at our upcoming 36th annual BDPA Technology Conference, which will take place in Indianapolis on August the 5th through the 9th. And so we're very excited to have an opportunity to preview their conference workshops to try to engender some, some more excitement for that. And we encourage you, if you feel the mind to do so, to dial in. And uh, we have a chat room. You can leave a question. Our guest call-in number is 760-695-5617. And uh, let's just have a good time with it. Our first guest tonight is... Brian Bennett. Bryant is a multi-talented brother. He is a professor at Northwestern University, who also has experience as the owner of his own healthcare technology consulting firm known as DataEnabledHealth.com. Brian's going to give a presentation at our upcoming national conference on the topic Beyond Electronic Health Record, the Next Steps for Healthcare. Many healthcare organizations think that they have finished or almost finished with their electronic health record or EHR solution. Unfortunately, EHR is only the first step of a journey that will lead them to becoming a data-enabled healthcare organization. There are several additional steps and continuums in addition to the technology that they're going to need to address if they hope to reach their destination. Brian's going to talk about that during his presentation, and we hope to get some preview of that during the call. So with no further ado, let me see if I can bring Brian online. Brian, welcome to the BDK iRadio show. Well, thank you, Wayne. Thanks for, thanks for inviting me. Uh, it is always a pleasure. We look forward to bringing to our audience the, the latest in, the, the, uh, in terms of IT information, and, and definitely this healthcare is one of those areas. Before I get into that meaty part of the topic, I want to start with the same question uh, that we usually start with, which is, how did you first learn about BDPA? 
I learned about BDPA uh, several years ago when I was a member of the ITSMF, the ITC Management Forum. And I was a member of them for several years and I was working for another company. And, um, and I got to go to the, um, you know, I think the, the, the uh, third quarter um, ITSMF conference in you know, correspondence with the BDPA conference. And it was just nice meeting everyone, and I, I, I got a good feeling and liked the people, and came back to Chicago, and you know, worked up, you know, networked a lot of people with the Chicago chapter of the BDPA, and I really enjoyed it, and, and still help maintain my relationships with people here. Well, that's outstanding. ITSMF, of course, is uh, a, an organization primarily of African American C level or executive level. Uh, folks that are in the IT industry, mostly CIOs from all around the nation, uh, they've existed for about 15 years, and and um, and so and I guess they provide. What would you say is one of the biggest benefits of your experience with ITSMF? Was it the networking, or what? What, what did you enjoy it most? It was the networking. It was the networking. Yeah, I mean, the people I met there were just phenomenal. You know, I meet people. I, I came back to each one of the meetings and tell people, "Wow, you won't believe this person who is the CIO of Deloitte." He's African American. The CIO of so and so is African American. Did you know that? So it was pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We all because less than three percent of the CIOs in the nation are African American. Much, much lower than our percentage of the population. And so it is nice right. that there is an organization that is pulling them all together. Um, it's, it's an interesting historical note is that ITSMF was actually was actually birthed out of a BDPA conference um, uh, a number of years ago. So, so there has been a strong connection between the two for quite a while, and we're very grateful that, mm. uh, that through ITSMF you met BDPA. Now, you have been in the industry for a long time. You've been an entrepreneur for a long time. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your entrepreneurial um, experiences up to this point? Well, for about the last eight years or so, uh, I, you know, that's my last, my last company. I started a consulting firm. Um, you know, it was called. It was that firm was in, uh, called Inside Data Group, and we focused on uh, helping mid-sized to smaller companies uh, use data to improve their operations. And along the way, there uh, we started looking at healthcare, and healthcare started looking at us. And I uh, was asked to help um, write a, a book chapter uh, with Dr. Faye Payton on data stewardship, with what she was putting together, and um, doing some speaking engagements. And next thing you know, I'm doing healthcare full time. So oh it, was, uh, it was it was it was challenging. Yeah, it was challenging, but it was it was a lot of fun. And you know, what the thing I liked about healthcare uh, is it's got a lot of challenges. And I'm a person who loves challenges. And I can see that that organization, that industry, can use somebody with my skills uh, to help them come along to get to be you know, a able to enable healthcare organizations. Now you, you speak about. Um, well, first off, another big shout-out to Dr. Faye. She, she is an outstanding um, person. I didn't realize that you guys had written a, or writing a book together. That is, that is wonderful. Yes. You speak about healthcare, and, of course, the whole country was aware over the last um, six or seven years of the gigantic political debates about the uh, so-called Obamacare, the uh, Affordable Care Act, which was passed into right. law. And it included – is that not where the electronic health records kind of really – boom, because a lot of that law, didn't it mandate some electronic health records on the part of the industry? Well, actually, you know, the, 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 the law that, that mandated electronic health records actually came before Obamacare. 
you know, Obamacare okay. is about coverage of, of, of individuals and, you know, making sure everyone has their, their uh, coverage and, you know, you can't you know, discriminate because of pre-existing conditions and all that kind of stuff. But actually, the lobby uh, came six months beforehand uh, that uh, President uh, Obama helped steer together with, with President Bush to, um, to you know, get all these organizations to um, go electronic. You know, because I, I was just talking to a friend today, you know, it's amazing how, you know, that kind of day you go to the hospital and they have these million-dollar pieces of equipment and they write them, they took it and write down the results on a piece of paper. You know, so now and, they're playing in so electronic that, formats and... Okay, that's, that's, yeah. that's what the law was. To, was to, the law was designed to get away from that, was to make it so that it was more electronic and hopefully more um, portable so that a patient can be seen at different places and, the, and, you, and you got their history kind of travel with them, you know, through the cloud, or et cetera. Exactly. That, that, was that the written exactly. idea? Yes. And, and, yes. I, and I would imagine that within our industry, within the IT industry, it was perceived that that would be a big boon in terms of, of um, you know, just work. I mean, if you're going to convert all of those medical records from handwritten files, you know, in the back office someplace in a cabinet um, to, to an electronic form, uh, that's going to require some some IT skills. Is that is that how the industry, mm-hmm. especially in this in this uh, healthcare uh, area, is that is that born fruit? Is that the way it's worked out? Yes, and it's you know, a big boon to the IT industry, and not just in converting the, the records, but you know, installing the software. And that's where that's where the, the, the you know, big money has been made. There is installing all the software. Um, you know, because it's like you know, you've got you know you know about eight hundred thousand physicians around the country. You probably have about um, 400, 300, 400 um, practices around the country, and another, you know, 30,000 hospitals. It's a lot of work. There's a lot of work there. And so, a part of that work, and I guess the the the, the core element of that work, in the, in the from the IT perspective, are these things called electronic health records. Can you can you describe that more for our audience? Okay, sure. Electronic health record. Is um, you know depending on how integrated they are, but primarily they uh, typically include a practice management, you know, a um, clinical and an e-prescription and a revenue cycle part. And you know, practice management did helping us scheduling, you know, you know, scheduling, knowing all the background information about the patients and so forth. Uh, the clinicals when the doctor records, you know, you know, you come in, you know, what is what are your, what are your vitals today, what are your problems today, and so forth and so on. The e-prescription part—that's the—that's one of the, the coolest parts. And you know, you can take there and and you can prescribe, send your prescription to any pharmacy while you're still seeing the in the office there. So by the time you get to the doctor, when you get to the pharmacy, instead of waiting, feeling sick and waiting for 20 minutes for them to fill your prescription, you can just come in, pick it up, and, and leave. And then there's oh the revenue God, cycle like- part, which is the Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Revenue Go ahead. cycle part is the third part. No, no. I, I, so, yeah, so the practice part, the back office, the clinical, or the doctor, actually the, the the records, the actual the actual health stuff, the body stuff, and then you're saying the last part right. is this revenue cycle, the revenue cycle piece. Right, and that's the billing part of it. That's the that's the billing part. You know, it helps them maintain and understand make sure they get all their the revenues. There's a lot of practices that are missing out on a lot of revenues because you know they couldn't go back and check what they did last time. You know how did how you know what did they do and how did they get there, and so they were getting you know claims denied and, and losing revenue. But you know now with the uh, in EHR they can go back and see okay I, I did this before and I got paid this and I did this this time and I get paid this I need to change this around. So you know they're picking a lot more revenue from the insurance companies that way too. 
And we have a, a lot of our members that are in that healthcare IT space right over the last number of years. And so your, your mm-hmm. presentation will be before a lot of those folks that are in that. And you're going to be talking, the, the title of your presentation is Beyond EHR, Beyond Electronic Health Record, The Next Steps for Healthcare. And what, can you preview that for us? Oh, yes. You know, the thing is, you know, I, I always, you know to me, being a data scientist for so many years, I get a kick out of, you know, people thinking, you know, can I get an EHR, I'm all done. And that EHR is really, uh, when you look at the continuum, the, the uh, trans- transformation continuums, the EHR is like one of the first steps in, in, the, in the continuum. You know, getting the EHR, you know, getting the information to an electronic format is step number one. Step number two is getting it on to a data warehouse with all the other data, all the clinical and revenue data, and stuff in the hospital, so you can start analyzing, which is, a, which is the third step. And so this is the end. Last year was what they call it the year of the EHR. This is the year of the analytics. And a lot of uh, companies are focusing on you know, getting that information to the data warehouse and, and trying to get the information out of there. You know, how can they analyze the data and find out how to improve their, their patient care? You know, if I have 20 patients on, if I have 100 patients who have high blood pressure and 20 on one medication and 20 on, on another medication, you know, uh, and one is doing one group is doing better than the other. Maybe I should switch these other ones over. You know, doctors are able to do that kind of stuff now. I guess that's almost where the where another another hot topic um, uh, over the last year or so big data comes in because all of these EHR to electronic yeah. health records, that's a lot of data that's that's being gathered from these hundreds of a thousands lot of, of data. doctors. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you see, and, and the issue you find issue you find is there is a whole lot of medical data. And and not and it's not all discrete data. You know, some of it is you know non-discrete and it's, it's handwritten, not handwritten, but it, it's words. And mining that mm-hmm. data to find something meaningful is, is is a challenge. So that's where beyond the EHR comes from. Is you know, there's a whole lot more to do beyond what the EHR part now. When e, when when the concept of EHR first came out, that's also around the the time that all of the quote unquote HIPAA stuff, right? The the privacy was a big concern. Has the, that whole privacy issue in converting these records has that pretty much been standardized and and it's pretty much a a routine part of the process now? It's not standardized. You know, each each uh, vendor, each software company does a different uh, process, uh, and each one software company tells you different things. You know, we are we never told doctors to convert all the records over to electronic, you know, because they may have ten thousand files in the office there and they may only see, you know, two thousand patients on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So we always tell them to convert them as you see the patients. Uh no new wasting money on converting another, you know, five thousand or so records unless you're gonna use that room or facility for a revenue producing um activity. You know, I had a, I had a doctor here in Chicago area who uh, wanted to use the records room, which the records were, to create another, to see another um, exam room. And so that's a great idea because you're going to make money off of it. Go create, convert all those records over. So your business is data-enabled health, and and what what exactly mm-hmm. are you doing? Do you do there? I've, I've seen your blog that's online. You can tell folks your your um, URL if you like your website. Um, but what yeah. what is it that you're that your 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 business model, if you will, for data enabled health dot com. Well, what we do now is you know, focus on more of the strategic part of the business. You know, before we were focusing on just the 
uh, technical, you know, implementing the software and uh, you know, selling the software and implementing the software. Now it's more focused on the strategic part, you know, helping healthcare organizations understand what they need to do next. You know, where, you know, what, is, what are the issues they have, uh, what they need to do, and then how to get there. So it's more of a strategy firm uh, than, than more just, in, and it's a technology strategy. We have a lot of technologists and uh, we use clinical people who help uh, them understand, you know, what needs to be done and try to get the analytics done and so forth. So uh, the website is called dataenabledhealth.com and you can access, you know, articles there and some of our work there. Um, it's, it's, been a, it's been a lot sure. of fun. Is your target your target um, in terms of the, your customers would be the the individual doctors, the hospitals? So who is it that you're that you're providing this this top level consulting you know expertise to? Usually it's to uh, a hospital or um, for our purposes a larger uh, medical practice. You know one or two practices really can afford and and benefit from what our, our services. But the larger practices, when you're talking like 20 and 30 and you know 40, 50 doctors and so forth, they can benefit because there's a lot of things they can do strategically to improve their their revenue and, be, and improve their patient care. Same thing with the hospital. You know, there's so much more there that they can work with. Um, and it has it been sitting through the cracks for years, and now they're able to to do that and you know you know not just make more money but improve patient care. That's that's the bottom line really is, is improving the patient care. And if I could, I, I, so for, if I'm going to talk now as, from an IT professional's point of view in thinking about electronic health records and thinking about healthcare IT, is that still moving mm -hmm. forward over the next, you know, five or six years? Will that still be a hot, you know, a hot commodity in terms of a skill set to have, or, or is that, is that, has it already hit its heyday and it's moving on to other things? Uh, this is going to be another uh, five to ten years. Uh, for okay. work to be done to get to where they need to get to. You know, we were talking yesterday, I read an article yesterday, uh, someone was saying, you know, 20, 2020 uh, was when they were going to probably really be able to get to see all the benefits of the analytics out of there. And that's about right. You know, in my blog I wrote about, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a game changer. Analytics is a game changer, but it's not there yet. And so if you were giving advice to a to a IT professional out there that was that was looking to, Try to get that that skill set that they would need to take advantage of of healthcare IT and take advantage of you know EHR. Is any any advice you would give that person? Are there any particular certifications or any particular you know skill sets that they need to focus on? Well, you know you have the basic ones, the basic systems engineers and then the you know and the uh, database administrators and so forth. Those are basic skills they're going to need. Uh, product management, you know, you get certified in product management. Uh, then you know, getting some you know, experience in the healthcare organization, you know, uh, however that can be, uh, just to you know, so you understand the terminology and, and the lingo, and then how you know, what are, what are the drivers in healthcare. Uh, but there, there's also a few certifying bodies too that can give you some, uh, they can provide some additional certifications for you know, you can be a registered healthcare um, industry technician, that kind of stuff. So there are a few other things you can do. But you know, you know, by and large, you know, the skills you have now are what's going to be in demand, and just getting extra certification is just going to make you in more demand. Well, Brian, you have you have laid out an awful lot of outstanding content, a lot for our listeners to to think about. You've previewed some of what you hope to cover at our conference. Um, if you were 
to give any particular you, you've had a long a long career in the IT area in the um, the, the the consulting arena. Um, you're you're in the academics now as a professor at Northwestern University. If you were if you knew then when you were starting your IT career what you know now, think like that. What kind of advice would you give to those folks that are starting off in their career now? You know, starting up now, you know, I always put people as when you're starting out, especially um, try to get work in the largest company you can possibly get to work for. Because they're going to get the most experience, most the broadest level of experience that you possibly can. Uh, try to find someone and get the I call you know other people's training. You know, be trained by other companies. Uh, let them give you the basics you need to have, and you know, and, and grow and build upon that, and get your you know, refine your skills, refine your brand. You know, what do you, what do you, what do you want to be, and you work toward that. Uh, if I, I wish I had I, you know, one thing you, you said. You know, working, start focusing on what my brand is going to be. You know, my brand has changed over time, uh, but you know, I wish I had focused on one area and stayed there. Because that's where, I see. I you know, see. that's where the opportunities are. Now, you also had the, you said earlier that you were in corporate America, and then, of course, you had a number of years as an entrepreneur. You, you have your own company now. What, any, what are, mm-hmm. are you looking, is your, is your future you want it to, to be building your own company? Is that still, that's still the plan moving forward? That's that's the plan. I'd like to do that. Is, is to build a build a company. Because um, like I said, you know, I'm getting, you know, I did a lot of speaking. I did one last Friday, and then I did another one, and another one next month. Uh, opportunity to speak and write, and uh, just build strategy. So, as the more I do that, the more I can get, um, you know, contact with these C-level executives to to hire my firm to do some work we need to do. Outstanding. Well, I tell you, Brian, you have been outstanding as a guest on our show. I look forward to having you back. In fact, I look forward to seeing you in a few months at our national conference. Is there any any final thought you want to share with our members and, and sponsors that are on the line or that will be listening to the archived version of this? Well, you know, this is, you know, as an entrepreneur and executive, it just takes hard work. You just have to stick with it and uh, get a support network. You know, if you're if you're married, have a, have a good you know good spouse and family. If you're not married, have some good friends who you know support you. You know, uh, my friends have been very supportive, and family have been very supportive of me. Uh, a lot of the things I've done, and that's been that's been great. Uh, also, you also need a, a sounding board. <laughs> Someone's going to tell you when you're when you're all base. <laughs> you say, hey, hey Wayne, yeah. uh, how does it sound to you? And you say, Brian, you're crazy. I, I wouldn't do that. So you need to have a, the support. You need the sounding board. So those are important things. That's why you have to build those relationships up through your career. Well, again, Brian, we truly appreciate you being here. Um, if you could tell them one more time if they wanted to get in contact with you to, to talk more about electronic health records or healthcare IT, mm-hmm. um, what's the best way for them to reach you? Okay, you can uh, uh, go to my website. is dataenabledhealth.com. Or send a note to me at Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, at dataenabledhealth.com. Outstanding. Thanks so much. We truly appreciate you being, being with us, and um, we, we hope we look forward to talking to you next time. All right. I'll see you in, uh, in August there, Wayne. That's the deal. All right. That has been right, Brian Bennett. Uh, I'm sorry. That has been Brian Bennett, uh, who is a professor at Northwestern University, as well as the owner of his own consultancy, Data Enabled Health. Our next two guests that will be on, I believe they're 
they're on the line. I, I have to figure all of this out. I'm having a good time doing it, though. Before I bring you our next guest, let me just go away for a quick uh, commercial break. Uh, we'll be back on the other side. What do Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, and Mark Zuckerberg have in common? They all learned computer coding before high school. Fun Mutation has taught more than 1,000 kids to code through their summer tech camps. Fun Mutation uses their trademark team's approach so that kids can experience technology, engineering, arts, math, and sciences in a fun and non-threatening way. Tech camps run only during the summer. Mr. Hick. So register now at yeah, uh, This is Carl Hill. Or call and Barry here too. Eric, you at two one seven seven nine three three. That's me. Okay, I'm going to put you on hold, and I'm going to, and we're going to do Carl next. Okay. Well, all right. Fun Mutation Tech Academy, one of our one of our iRadio show sponsors. We're always looking for companies, for educational institutions, for sponsors to help us keep this show going. If the world were perfect, we would do this show on a weekly basis. If we had, we have enough guests, we have enough folks with some outstanding information, uh, we just need the sponsorship to help make that happen. If you are interested, uh, feel free to send us a email at iradio at betf.org. I also want to let everybody know that uh, the foundation has announced this week uh, $10,000 in annual college scholarships being provided to those students that have an interest in pursuing an academic program related to information technology. These scholarships are funded by Monsanto Company. They are the Monsanto Scholarships for BDPA students. Two of them will be awarded on a national level, and two of them will be awarded locally in St. Louis, where Monsanto has their world headquarters. The deadline for application materials is July 15. You can get more information by sending an email to monsanto at betf.org or visiting the betf.org website. Our second guest and our next guest we're looking forward to talking to is both a BDPA leader and an industry leader. His name is Carl Hill. Carl, are you on the line? I am, Mr. Hicks. How are you this evening, sir? I am outstanding. I am overcoming my nervousness of being the guest host uh, for Fran, who is unable to be with us tonight. And um, having you on the line makes me feel so much better, Carl. Let me give you a brief introduction <laughs> before we get going. Uh, Carl All right. has 30 years of experience in the IT industry. He's the president of Golden Technology Services. He is also the president, as a volunteer, of our BDPA Triangle Chapter. It is a chapter that is located in the Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina, or the Research Triangle area. He's also going to be a presenter at our 2014 BDPA Technology Conference. His topic will be the cyber threat landscape, what should you know? His presentation is going to highlight the growing cyber threat landscape, the history, some of the big stories that we've heard about over the past year, what to think about moving into the future in terms of vulnerabilities, what you as an employee or a small business or even those of you that are in corporate America need to do to minimize your risk. And so we're really looking forward 
to hearing from Carl. I guess, Carl, before we really get into the meat of your conference presentation, uh, we always like to ask our guests, how did you learn about BDPA in the first place? Well, it's, it's, it's an interesting story. Um, you know, because of my many years in, in IBM, uh, primarily in the sales and marketing side, I had not heard of BDPA during my entire IT uh, time frame inside of IBM and, and corporate America. And basically uh, had a serendipitous meeting uh, that I met at the time, the president of the BDPA, BDPA Triangle Chapter back in 2007, and that was uh, Rick Leggett. And he and I were at a meeting where a senior level executive for Bank of America was speaking at Duke University. And he and I were, you know, as you could well imagine, were the only, with the exception of some of the students, uh, the only diverse uh, people in the room and uh, from an IT perspective. And we just started talking. He gave me a brief history of BDPA, what it does, um, you know, what were some of the benefits, and, you know, I just felt that I had to, to get involved to give back. And so that was my uh, first phase into 2007. And as you know, in 2009, the uh, National Convention came to Raleigh, which was a, a, a big deal for us. And after that, um, I was voted in as the president of the uh, BDPA. That is, that is wonderful. What, what, um, what's been your observation of growing BDPA in North Carolina? I, we sometimes, on a national level, you know, our audience is, is you know, all over the country, we hear about uh, all of the, the moral Mondays and kind of all of the, the controversial things happening in North Carolina with the Confederate flag and all that. And, and you wonder, can an organization like BDPA flourish in, in North Carolina? What's been your experience over these, these uh you know, past six or seven years since you were introduced to the organization. Yeah, that, that's that's a good point, and I, I will tell you that um, it it has flourished. Uh, I think the biggest uh, issue that we had was pretty much the downtown downturn in the economy uh, back during you know the two thousand six two thousand seven, and and we're on the throes of of, of coming back. Uh, North Carolina. Uh, especially within the Triangle area, the Charlotte area, uh, where most of the urban uh, cities are, is is known for for being very very progressive. And so, as you know, it's one of the largest technology areas uh, in the country outside of the San Jose, the Austin, and the Boston area. And so, we we really do get an opportunity, you know, from a IT perspective, biotech to to really approach to get some good members to come into the BDPA and we're constantly you know on the trail to to recruit uh, you know IT professionals um, some years we're very successful some years uh, not so but I think it's a very progressive area uh, with some very um, aggressive minded uh, individuals in the IT industry well, I know the chapter has been blessed over these last two administrations to have. You had mentioned Rick Leggett, and, and now you as the president. I, I see in, in the recent metrics for the national organization that out of 46 chapters all over the nation, that uh, your chapter is in the top 15. I believe you're like the 14th largest chapter in the nation right now. And so you, you must be doing some great things down there in uh, the Raleigh-Durham area. We're very, very pleased 
um, to, to, to know that it's continuing to flourish in, in uh, North Carolina. Well, well, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Hicks. I, I, I do know that, um, you know, one of the things that is our passion is trying to not only go after the IT professionals, but to also uh, go after the college students that are majoring in IT, and then also always since the 2009 timeframe uh, try to have a sites program and an HSCC program with high school students. And it's, it's just really uh, gratifying to be part of an organization that aggressively attempts to get diverse folks into STEM-based programs. And in fact, I'll tell you a very interesting story, very brief, uh, but at our sites program, uh, Saturday Academy, this past Saturday, <clears throat> we invited uh, someone to come in uh, who, you know, to give the students some information about, you know, web design and how to connect the database uh, into the web design. And, you know, he's a professional uh, teacher, instructor, has a full-time job, uh, charges people for his services when he's teaching, you know, outside of his, his, his regular uh, career. And at the end of the session, having spent a couple of hours with these students, you know, quizzing them on what they knew, what they didn't know, um, you know, his parting words to them when, he, when the session ended uh, on Saturday is that they're all extremely lucky. And he said, I just want you guys to know how lucky you are that you have, you know, people like, you know, Rick Leggett was there, I was there. Uh, we had another guest uh, there, you know, teaching them some things about project management. And they're all diverse, you know, black IT professionals. And he just said, you're all lucky to have people coming in on Saturday, you know, not getting paid, giving up their time, which they could have other things to do to teach you about IT. And, um, and he just said, you know, when he was growing up, he did not have any of that. And uh, when he goes to meetings, when he teaches IT classes, there are very few of us in those classes. So, 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 so the BDPA, so, so the net of it is the BDPA is doing all the right things, and I think we're just a microcosm of all the things that are taking place across the 45 chapters as well. You're absolutely right. Classroom to the boardroom, and, and your, your example definitely shows some of those classroom things. I would encourage you for those students that you have in your current Saturday Academy, as well as for those that have been in those past three or four years that you've had, make sure that they're aware of these scholarship opportunities that we're offering from the foundation. I mentioned earlier the Monsanto scholarship. We also have an Eli Lilly scholarship, which this year um, they've actually upped the dollar amounts to $5,000. To $5, I, I just want to make sure that young people are taking advantage of these scholarship opportunities. And, and since I'm talking to the Triangle chapter, I'm counting on you to get that word out to your students and to their parents. You know, now is the time. Uh, the, the, uh, the application process is a simple one, and, and we really want to give them this money. A absolutely. I think you're and also going we, to be conference and, and, and we have done that. Yeah, no, go ahead. And, and, and we have sent, sent those emails out to both the uh, college students and high school, high school students, depending on the criteria for those scholarships. 
Excellent. I, I see that you're going to be a conference presenter at the uh, 36th annual BDPA Technology Conference uh, later this year in Indianapolis, and you'll be talking about cyber threats. Do uh, you want to preview that presentation for us? Sure, sure. Uh, just a, a quick highlight. It, it, it's really to, as you mentioned, you know, you have uh, employees, you have small businesses, you have large uh, enterprises, and they all have their own challenges to deal with cyber threats. Uh, I know you know, but most of the small businesses that are out there today don't know that they don't know what's happening in the landscape from a cyber perspective. And, you know, small businesses represent, you know, somewhere in the mid to high 90s percent of all businesses that are out there that, that employ people as well. And what has transpired here in the last three to five years is that the bad actors that are out there are always looking for the weakest link in order to find ways to breach places where they can come and take either intellectual assets, intellectual properties, or just money. And before, you know, everyone used to try to protect their perimeter with firewalls and, you know, all kinds of things at their premise. Uh, but the real interesting point is, is that their perimeter has continued to broaden from not only their employees opening 100 emails, you know, every day, of which some of them do have, um, you know, some sort of malware in them, all the way down to their supply chain which is 5, 10, 15 steps away from their perimeter that they normally would focus on. And, you know, so just from a deconstruct perspective, if you look at the target breach, which everyone clearly is aware of, but very few people know how they were able to get into target. And so we'll talk a little bit about that, but they got in by stealing trusted credentials from one of Target's supply chain vendors, which was their HVAC vendor. And you go, well, why the heck would they go after the HVAC vendor? Well, the HVAC vendor had 24 by 7 access to all the coolers and the refrigerators inside of the stores to make sure that they were cooling properly. And so they had access into the uh, servers in order to see what was going on within the Target stores pretty much all over the country. This HVAC vendor basically had only 70 employees, and someone sent a phishing email to them. The person clicked on it, link malware dropped. They then took the credentials, made their way into Target, and just basically went horizontal uh, basically um, finding ways to get further along, further along with, with greater access until finally they got to pretty much where they wanted to be. And so you asked yourself, yeah, they got the customer records. Yes, they got the customer records. They got, you know, a lot of the credit card information. And as you know, you know, they've, you've heard numbers as high as 70 million customers as being uh, information potentially was breached. And so we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll talk a little bit about 
the landscape of you know who these folks are, uh, you know why are they so anonymous? And, and I would ask you a question: uh, If you had an opportunity to go out and walk into any place physically you wanted to, where no one knew you were there, and you can look around, look at anything that you wanted, take anything that you wanted, with no fear of any reprisals. Because if they did find out who did it, if it was you, you're in a country that doesn't have any extradition rights with the U.S. or any other country. So you basically have the ability to, to go out and do whatever you want to do. Plus, some of these things that are out in the marketplace, these kits can be bought for about $50. That gives you the ability to basically go out and hold piece of people's data drive uh, under ransom. So, 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 so we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk a lot about that. We'll you know, challenge uh, the typical uh, IT security guys from a standpoint of, and oh, by the way, you need everything that's out there today, right, because you need to build a nice you know, layered security uh, position so that over time, as they try to get in, some of the stuff that's trying to get in gets knocked off, get identified, so that when so that you can really only need to focus on the true things that are that are driving, uh, you know, that that you really should focus on. So, yeah, go ahead. Is this your your business that you that you that you're the president of, Golden Technology Services? Is this area one that you guys um, uh, specialize in at all? Uh, yes. So. Um, so this it was co-founded with a couple of uh, ex-IBMers. Uh, I am one of the co-founders. Uh, we started a couple of years ago. We're focusing on cybersecurity, uh, cloud services, disaster recovery, continuity, uh, along with uh, uh, managed storage. Uh, we've we, we basically have gone out and tried to find uh, some of the most innovative solutions that are in the marketplace, and then we took it a next level down to say, you know, let's focus on not only innovative and effective, but also affordable things for small business. So most of the stuff, if not all of the stuff that we have, uh, we've gone out and found it to be available for small businesses, and we also made it affordable for small businesses. And if we've gone to a large enterprise company that are selling solutions specifically and only for large enterprises, we've negotiated some things with them so that they will give us a part of that portfolio or that service that can be used by small businesses as well. If, if somebody wanted to, to get in touch with your business, with Golden Technology Services, how would, how would you recommend they get in touch with you? Yeah, they can uh, go to gtscloud.com. That's uh, G for golden, T for technology, S for services, gtscloud.com. Um, can take a look at our website, see some of the things that, that we're offering. And, oh, by the way, we're uh, in the throes of updating our website. Uh, you know, the one that we have, we've, you know, we, we realize we need to refresh it. We've added some solutions that's not on there, so we're, we, we're refreshing it. Or they could send something to info at gtscloud.com or directly to me, carl.heal at gtscloud.com. 
Carl, it has been outstanding. I need to I need to bring us to a close uh, so we can get in yep. our our uh, next guest. I'm going to have to make sure we have you back um, soon. I'm always interested in learning not just about cyber you know cybersecurity, cyber threats. In fact, you've convinced me that I'm going to change my conference workshop my conference workshop schedule so I'm attending your workshop. <laughs> To hear, to hear more Excellent. about what you've, you've uh, previewed this evening. Uh, but I'm also very interested in folks that are being successful in terms of, um, you know, building a business and, and working with other small businesses. And so we'll have you back to talk some more about that. In the, in the final Absolutely. minute or so, do you have any, any, any final, any one final thought you want to share with our members, our sponsors? Yeah, I, I, I do. And, 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 and what I'd like to do is to thank you, uh, Mr. Hicks. I, I, I know and I see all the things that you're doing um, across BDPA, you know, keeping a lot of things connected, doing the uh, corporate sales, you know, bringing things to the chapters that they may not necessarily be aware of. And so, you know, I know that you do a lot, you know, and I just want to let you know that I really, truly appreciate those things that you're doing, as, as I'm sure everyone else inside of BDPA is, especially when you out of the you know out of the blue, you're the host, so you're figuring it out as you go. So congratulations on that as well. <laughs> I thought this on I appreciate it. If you'd seen if you'd seen me at 8:25 uh, before the show started at 8:30, uh, you would have seen a very much out of control person. You know, <laughs> the good thing is having great guests like you, Carl Hill, and and thank you so much for being with us. We do look to have you on board um, again in the future, and, and you have a very, very blessed uh, rest of your week. Thank, thank you very much, Mr. Higgs, and thank you for inviting us and giving us an opportunity to uh, participate. And uh, I will uh, chat with you, uh, you, you guys later. And, and, and what, what I would tell you to do is make sure that you treat your next guest, right? Make sure you treat your next guest well. Well, thank you, Mr. Brown. I appreciate that very much. I appreciate that. One of your South Region compadres. Yes, will, it is. Um, great and a great guy too, by the way. Again, Carl. All right, bye, guys. Thanks again, Carl. I'm gonna. We're gonna break yep. um, for the audience. We're gonna take a, a brief break and uh, and and come right back and hear our our final guest, who is an outstanding, not just an outstanding motivational speaker, but he's an outstanding IT professional, and I think he's one of the um, really up and, and, uh, and future stars of BDPA in terms of the things he is doing with his chapter down in Atlanta. So we look forward to hearing from uh, Mr. Brown shortly. Let me just take a brief break before we get to Mr. Brown. The BDPA Education and Technology Foundation, a nonprofit organization that exists for the sole purpose of funding BDPA programs, scholarships, and services around the nation. Follow us on Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash BDPA Foundation, or Twitter, www.twitter.com forward slash BDPA. Well, we are excited about what's been going on with our show tonight. We've had some outstanding interaction with uh, Brian Bennett out of the Chicago area, with Carl Hill out of the North Carolina area. And right now, I am pleased to bring to our BDPA iRadio show listeners, Mr. Derek D.S. Brown. Mr. Brown, how are you today? I am fine, Brother Wayne. Thank you so much for having me on this fine evening. 
It is. Um, it, yeah, it, it, it's it's outstanding to have you on. I'm very very happy. I'll give the audience a, a quick uh, overview of of your bio, if you were, uh, if you will. Um, his friends call him DS. I'm going to call him Derek sometimes because I that's how I do it on on emails when I type it out or Mr. Brown. Derek is an IT manager with Macy's Systems and Technology. He is also the president of our BDPA Atlanta chapter, a chapter which is the fifth largest chapter in the nation as we speak. He is also planning to be a workshop presenter uh, at our 2014 technology conference on the topic necessity and power of critical thinking. Uh, Derek has a blog where he talks about the importance of, of critical thinking and it being a skill that prospective employees really need to, 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 to have because it's what employers will be looking for as we move further into the 21st century. It's a trend that will continue. This need for critical thinking um, has technology and innovation continues to proliferate. And so his workshop is going to talk a little bit about what that means and what it looks like, critical thinking. I, I know as a, as a, as a child, um, we, we were always taught the, 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 the historical, what was taught to us as a fact that Christopher Columbus discovered America. And, and every child could say that. If you asked who discovered America, they would say Christopher Columbus. And I remember always saying if you were a critical thinker, you would understand that you can't discover <laughs> something where there are already some people there. And there were already some people here in America, so how could we say he discovered it? Mr. Brown, pleasure to have you on board. Uh, first question that we have to ask you, and I know we've asked in the past, but new audience, new archive version of the show, how did you first find out about BDPA? Well, it was around 2007, Wayne, 2007, 2006. Um, I struggled, I crammed to be specific about the year when they all seem to flood together so aggressively, especially since I've been so passionate about BDPA and involved to such a high degree over the last few years, it kind of comes as a fall. But I will say this. I stepped downstairs to the uh, lobby at the uh, Mason Systems and Technology main headquarters in Johns Creek, and Jacqueline Sanders, who is a member of BDPA Atlanta, was putting on a presentation around project management, and the room was packed. So I'd gotten an invite, and to be honest with you, I can't remember who. I guess it was serendipitous. I walked in, and all of these people were talking about technology, and everyone happened to be of my particular ethnicity. So I took pride in that fact, and I stuck around. And she was really diving into details in terms of IT, project management in particular, and how the things relate, and how the people that were in the audience could engage this organization in order to elevate themselves and get to the next level. So I took all of that into consideration and said, hey, this, this sounds like the kind of organization I would want to be a part of. And just for that instance, for that moment, I said, okay, this sounds good. This sounds good. So I stepped away, and then I came back for another meeting. Now, the funny thing about it, again, and I, I, I struggle with this with people who come by, I would say there was a little lackadaisical streak within me because you, you find a thing, you like it, but you've got a lot going on in life, but you don't necessarily realize the value, so you don't commit. I didn't commit, but I kept coming back. And then one day, uh, Teresa engaged me and Felicia engaged me. 
who was the immediate past president. They both operate at the regional level now. And they said, Derek, you're, 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 you're messing around. You're not, you're not doing what's right for yourself and for how you can commit to the community. And Felicia just, she hit me with it. We're pretty close, so she hit me directly between the eyes. And, you know, it's kind of embarrassing, Wayne, that I had to go through that. Right again, this is something that I'm struggling with right now that I'm seeking to aggressively address in terms of our wide organization, how it should grow, that the value proposition is there. But she hit me with it, and that was around 2, 11, 2, 12, and I was in, and I was all in from that point on. And I haven't, as you well know, looked back. I'm very passionate about it. It's, it's a powerful organization. I just got through reiterating to someone last night. It's the best little big organization that you've never heard of, and the value proposition simply cannot be denied. You just have to get yourself engaged. You know what I mean? I hear you, and, I, and I, I know that we're going to talk about your conference uh, presentation, but I do want to hear more about you, – you've now been the president of the Atlanta chapter for the past, uh, I guess, since August, September timeframe. I think you took over, so it's been a little bit under a year. What, what has been your, your biggest learning from, from now not just being a, a participant in a meeting or a presenter at a meeting or a part of the board, but actually the, the, the person that's responsible for providing that vision and providing that leadership? What's been your big learning as our BDPA Atlanta chapter president? My biggest learning is that, well, let's say – you want to always pick one thing, but as is often said in life, it's not just one thing. So it's not the biggest learning, it's the biggest learnings. The biggest learnings are that our ethnicity, our people have a lot to learn. They do. And that from an IT and STEM perspective, our culture unfortunately stands diametrically opposed to our group progress. And when you engage in a volunteer organization like BDPA, which demands your time for no direct compensation, you have to try and figure out and understand what that value proposition is and how it can benefit you singularly as a person involved in it and what you get out of it by helping others. And when it comes down to helping others, and I've done this in other areas, but I've even found it more so in BDPA, when you, uh, when you get out there and you gauge people and you help them elevate, you motivate them, you lead them in the right direction, and they find value and learn from what you're doing, it's powerful. You know, it helps you grow as a person. And the way our culture is geared right now, that's not necessarily seen as, a, you know, as, as something that's redeemable or, or, or great. You know, it, you know, it doesn't look like money. It doesn't feel like money, at least not to some of us. But if you would switch your perspective, and that's where my critical thinking comes in, if you would switch your perspective a little bit, you'll see how, you know, getting engaged in an organization like this and elevating people really does provide strong value. And there's nothing that can compete with a really feel-good feeling when you know you've done what's right. Not only doing what's right for the community in terms of getting them engaged in a revenue-producing career um, that will last and not be outsourced to actually and not be, you know, not be lost from manufacturing going to other countries. It, this is this is the future, and our people needing to understand science and technology and mathematics and engineering and actually getting engaged in it, and BDPA being able to provide that to them at whatever stage they're at right now, whether they're a student, whether they're a IT, they're a professional that's in our industry or somebody who's interested in our industry, or whether they are a C-level, 
you know, CIO or an owner of their own business that uh, we got we got a program, we have a service, we have an activity that can get them involved. And, and um, I, I think that the value proposition, as you stated it, is evident. We have to continue to be aggressive about sharing that value and sharing what we do with others. And you guys do a lot of things in Atlanta, in Atlanta chapter. It seems like you, you know, many chapters have a monthly gathering, a monthly program meeting. I seem to look up and it seems like every other week every, that something's going on in your chapter. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you, you really do hit the nail on the head, Wayne. I, I like to tell people, irrespective of position, whether you are, you know, going to high school, because really that's where we've got to start, or you are already in the C-suite, you have to look at the fundamental shift in terms of what's going to be required in order to secure your career in a 21st century economic environment, STEM or STEAM, including arts, is imperative. There are no innovations that are, that are being created without technology, and that includes art because when you really look at it, if you were to break down music, it's nothing but mathematics given form and sound, and it's pleasing to the ear, but it's, it's still at its heart. It's, it's math. It's science. These things together create the environment that we live in, and if we would have a future as an ethnicity, as a culture, as a group, we have to embrace that. You have to embrace it at all levels. And again, no matter whether you're in the C-suite or you're at the entry level, you have to understand what's imperative about STEM or STEAM, and that technology is going to interlace itself within every conceivable job that will be coming down the pike. The more you understand that, the more you embrace it, the better off you will be. And as DDPA Atlanta, we embrace that mission. We're trying to continue to grow the programs that we've developed and build new ones that speak to this mission, that speak to this imperative, it's an absolute necessity. There are only two things that create jobs, and I don't care whether you've got a degree from Harvard in economics or you grew up on the street. Innovation and demand creates jobs. That's it. You either create something new or you increase the demand for something that's already there, be it an iPhone or a hamburger. If you come up with a new innovative way to create a hamburger and it leverages technology, well, then if you know the technology, you're, you're, you're a step ahead. Differentiate yourself and make yourself important to that process. If you're inventing something new, then you're an entrepreneur. If not, if you work for a company, then be innovative in that space as well. That's what you got to do. And critical thinking becomes important, the ability to really look at a set of facts, to look at your career, to look at your environment. I guess that's a lot of what you will be covering um, at your workshop uh, in Indianapolis later this year. Absolutely. Now, the, one, of my, one of the things I love to tell people, and, you know, you, you break it down simplistically. It's kind of interesting when you were talking about how when we were young and we learned things, you got exposed to things. I always tell folks that you can take a critical thinking perspective, consider the philosophy around it, and elevate it to a level of complexity that might make it difficult. We shouldn't have to do that, and we don't have to do that. Critical thinking at its core just demands that you question appropriately. And we learned these things in elementary school. It's who, what, when, where, how, and why. I personally developed my own methodology, which is called 3FE, find, focus, establish the fundamentals, and execute, which is what I like to call the simple man's critical thinking tool. It's a methodology for motivational empowerment. It helps you problem solve. You start with those five wait, wait, questions, wait, wait, and you wait, start wait, to break wait, things. Wait, wait. Wait, I, I gotta, I'm going to stop you. 3FE, and so that's five. 3FE. There's focus. There's, there's, there's F's in there, and then there's an E. So tell me again what that is. Tell our audience what that is. Find, focus, 
establish the fundamentals, execute. Fundamentals and execute. Outstanding. Okay, all right, yeah. all right. I, 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 um, I already can tell that we will be inviting you back uh, sooner rather than later because there's an awful lot. We could break each of these things down as, as individual, you know, just talking about the three FE process, find focus, establish fundamentals, and then execute. A lot of times in our community, we are really good about finding the problem, and, and we may even for, while it's fashionable, focus on the problem. I think our issue is, is um, really executing, uh, you know, establishing what we can do to, to, to fix it or, or to take advantage of it in a way that's positive for ourselves, for our family, you know, for our community, um, and then executing on that. We just we don't follow up on stuff until it, until it happens enough, in, in, in my view. Is that, have you observed that at all? Absolutely, Wayne. You kind of hit the nail on the head with that one, too. And that's where 3FE becomes critical because the, the main thing, and this ties in terms of IT most specifically, data is just data. There are things out there that exist in and of themselves. They don't become valuable until you learn how to relate them, and that's when they become information. Information carries value. You can execute on it. Until it has that value, it's just raw data. So when you're in the fine phase of this methodology, you're just trying to gather things. We do that in our community. You look at what's wrong here. You look at what's wrong there. But you don't focus on it. You don't start to take a look at the relationships between the things that are broken. And if you can't do that to a reasonable degree, then you're not on the path towards problem solving. The more you start to do that, you understand what the relationships mean. And if you start to understand what the relationships mean, that information will, over an evolutionary period, Design a path for it. It happens consistently every time. It just requires you to focus on it. That path forward evolves into your fundamental plan. And once you've refined that plan, created the milestones necessary, understood the durations and the resources required to execute on it, you pull the trigger. We can do that for problems both big and small. And our most intractable problems can be broken down into their constituent components to be resolved. This is why I came up with the methodology. I use it on a daily basis. I've become, it's become so internalized I do it without even thinking about it. And that's why, that's what I'm going to be talking about at, at the conference. That's critical thinking in action. If you're in IT and you're a developer, you can use it. If you're a business analyst, you can use it. If you're a tester, you can use it. If you're a manager, you most certainly should use it because problem solving at its core requires that you understand the relationships not only between the problems but the people. And this tool will help you resolve that. I can see already that I have to go back to bdpa.org and go to the conference page and change my workshop schedule because I now have to make sure I'm attending the necessity and power of critical thinking by Derek Brown. This, this sounds like it's going to be quite an exciting, um, uh, exciting workshop. Can you, if folks wanted to get in touch with either you as the aspiring critical thinker or with your chapter, how would you recommend what's the best way for them to, to follow up on hearing you today and wanting to really touch base with you? Well, let's start with what's foremost important. This is BDPA, so I would ask that they go to AtlantaBDPA.org, check out what we've got on the site, take a look at our details, check our calendar. And I think some folks may notice that we, like Wayne said, like you said, Wayne, we do a lot. And we're trying to be expansive. We've got a lot of folks volunteering. We've got more coming on board. I was a little late getting on the call today. Why? Because I was out to try to get some money for our programs. But go to that site first. Take a look at what we're trying to offer. Stay connected with us. 
And then I would say, if you like what you see there, go to bdpa.org and sign up. Join today. BDPA Man is trying to do some pivotal things. We want you to get involved. If you want to know more about me personally, my email ds at meetdsbrown.com. You can go to www.meetdsbrown.com, and on that splash page, you'll see my blog links and my Twitter account. And every once in a while, I've been very busy with my day job because data analytics is what I do for a living. But every once in a while, even though I'm consumed by so many different things, I try to drop a dime or two, a little dime in here about leadership and critical thinking. Go there, check it out, see what I've got coming. And in the coming months, I've got some more books that are coming out too. I've published four. I've got a few more, and one of them in particular will deal with the aspects of critical thinking. And once it's put out there, I'm going to try to do it from a perspective where I don't gain any profit from it, but we try and generate some dollars to help some of the efforts that we're trying to do out here as a group. That's, that's my passion. That's my purpose. So if you would, connect with me. Stay tuned. We're going to try to do big things. I, I am very, very pleased that you have taken the time to be with our audience here on the BDPA iRadio show. Um, Mr. Derek Brown, I look forward to talking with you and actually inviting you to come back on a, on a future show when, you're, when your time permits. Uh, thank you so, so much for being with us today. Absolutely, Wayne. And, and my, my brother Carl there, I want to echo what he said right back at him. He's a good guy, and I want to thank you personally, Wayne, for all that you do. I don't think any of us would be half as successful if you had not put your hands on the helm and you had not continued to be the purpose-driven individual that you are. So I want to personally thank you for that. Sante Sana, I appreciate it, and I look forward to, to seeing you shortly. Um, it's, just, it's been a pleasure. And for it's our, been a pleasure on my end as well. Thank you very much, Derek. I really want to thank all of our guests that have been on the show tonight. Uh, Brian Bennett, uh, who, who uh, told us a lot about the electronic health records, and he is owner of Data Enabled Health. I want to thank uh, Carl Hill, who shared with us information about cybersecurity. He is the president of Golden Technology Services. And I want to thank uh, Derek D.S. Brown, who is the president of our Atlanta chapter and also an IT manager at Macy's and a motivational brother, just period, straight out. And, and, and any opportunity that we have to talk with, uh, with any of these three gentlemen, we will take again in the future. I want to thank uh, Everaldo Gallimore, who has been providing technical support for the BDPI radio show for a, for a number of years now. I'm very, very appreciative of the work that, that he does. He owns Gallimore Design, just an outstanding um, individual. And, of course, um, she could not be with us this show. Her name is Fran McNeil. She is, in many respects, the creator of the BDPA iRadio show brand, and we are, we're, we're, we are looking forward to having her back up uh, when we can, and I will try to substitute um, as much as I can uh, in the interim. Last announcement is the Eli Lilly Scholarship for BDPA Students. This is the eighth annual scholarship opportunity, and the scholarships have been doubled. They are $5,000 scholarships now. It, the application period is open to the end of this month for any graduating high school student or any current college student. That's an awful lot of y'all that are in BDPA. $5,000 college scholarship from Eli Lilly through 
your BDPA affiliation, you can go to our website at BETF.org, BDPA Education and Technology Foundation, the acronym BETF.org, to get more information on, on applying for that scholarship. Again, the deadline for that is June the 30th, so do not dilly-dally. Take care of business right now. And if you know of a college student or a high school, a graduating high school senior that could use $5,000 to support their college education, you definitely want to look it up. I, I think that is going to bring us to the end of our show. I have enjoyed very much being with each and every one of you, and we hope that you will be with us again in two weeks on June the 24th, when we'll come to you again with the BDPA iRadio Show. BDPA iRadio, linking business, education, and technology. The BDPA iRadio Show creates a vibrant communications platform that speaks to all BDPA stakeholders. Hosted by Fran McNeil. Sponsored by the BDPA Education and Technology Foundation. And the Executive Director, Wayne Hicks. Produced by Everaldo Gallimore. Technical advice by John Melanson. BDPA iRadio broadcasts the second and fourth Tuesday of every month. Join us on blogtalkradio.com backslash BDPA.